I think that um, our ancestors uh, in retelling their experiences uh, with racism in the past, with how they overcame that, uh, I, I think there is um, good in talking to our next generation about uh, even the painful experiences that we've had. Alrighty, welcome back, kids. How's it going? We've been away for a little while. Yeah. It's a whole new year we yeah. come back here. Uh, it's uh, Alabama Politics This Week. It's uh, Josh Moon and... David Person. Still here. Still, Still here. here. I don't know. Conned him into another year. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I have a blast. I have a blast on here, man. This is great. Good. Yeah. Good, good. I do, too. I, I really enjoy doing this thing every week. It's... Uh, yeah. it, it is... Uh, it is Actually, it's, it's kind of like therapy. Uh-huh. It's yeah. cathartic, for sure. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, we come on. We we talk about all the absolute bullshit that goes on in this state, and then you know, and we get we get to talk it out. And sometimes, sometimes we can even come up with solutions. Now, nobody ever listens to us, but you know <laughs> about what the solutions are. Even though lots of people actually listen to us, yeah, it's just yeah. really, really amazing how many people still listen to this thing. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's got, we got better numbers now for whatever reason. Go figure that. Uh, but well, um, yeah. You know, I think we um, I think even though we're obviously, you know, uh, you know, liberal, both of us are liberal in our thinking. What? And, and both both of us, uh, you know, uh, lean very, very hard toward the Democratic Party. A- at the same time, I-, I do think we try to be fair. I don't uh-huh. think our criticisms of Republicans and conservatives are just random crazy, you know, uh, you know, from the side, you know, pot shots. I think we're really, they're legitimate. And then we also yes. give them credit, you know, when it's legitimate, we give them credit. I mean, yeah, you and I have both been, you know, very open about our respect for Senator Shelby, even though we don't agree with his politics, for example. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, I think that's true. You don't yeah. act like an idiot. We don't treat you like one. Yeah. You know, that's, that's our basic motto. You don't act like an idiot. We don't treat you like an idiot. You yeah. know, uh, even and that's what you know. I wrote a, wrote a column about uh, Katie Britt. Recently, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was. You know, I, I think what she's accomplished at such a young age is remarkable. Uh, I mean, especially doing it while raising a couple of kids. Uh, you know, I, I know she has a husband who's very involved as well, and, and Wesley, who I've known for a number of years. Um, I think I've probably known Wesley longer than she has, uh, but. Uh, she, you know, she, uh, he was at the university of Alabama when I covered their football team for, for a season. And, uh, he was, uh, a great guy at that point and uh, by all accounts still is. And, uh, and, you know, but to, to do that, you know, I know what, uh, my wife and I uh, go through here raising one child, uh, and, and we've got a great child <laughs> yeah. you know, that, uh, is uh, happy and, uh, and minds us and, you know, and does what she's supposed to do all the time and still. Still, life is tough. So to accomplish, you know, becoming a U.S. senator and going through a campaign of that nature, it's a remarkable accomplishment for anybody. And uh, and that she pulled it off is is even, uh, you know, it's just it. I think it was, was the best thing that could have happened for the state 
in this context. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I, do I think that other people would be more suited to my style of politics and what I would hope for? Absolutely. There mm-hmm. are a number of people that I would have put in there uh, above her, but given who we had running and what was there other than the Democrat uh, here and, and Mr. Boyd, uh, I think this was, you know, who look, he didn't have a chance, you know, he didn't, he didn't have a chance. Or, but so out of all the people who had a viable chance to win, uh, you know, I think that she was probably the best option, and I hope that she well, governs in a way that is similar to Richard Shelby. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to push back on some of that, and and of course people okay, right people already know that you know I I was one of his uh, consultants. Right, <clears throat> uh, Will Boyd. And that was I want to be clear before you start. Mm-hmm. That was in no way, shape, or form a shot at you. It had to do more so with the state oh, of our no, state no, and the state yeah. of our uh, of our Democratic Party in this state. And and that's what I was going to. That's where I was going uh, with it. I knew you weren't taking a shot at me or Will for that matter. Um, but I wanted I want to be clear that I think not just Will, but I think there were several other uh, Democrats running for statewide office who had if we had a party mm-hmm. that was not so dysfunctional. A party that actually was was able to, you know, uh, create a political infrastructure that was viable. I think that uh, Democrats uh, would have had a lot better shot at winning, and I think some of them could have won. And I think Will is one of them. I think I think there's at least one other, one or two other statewide Democrats who would have won. And I think there are a lot of I think there are a lot of local Democrats who would have won. You know, we have at least two or three in North Alabama who were strong, strong candidates who could have won, who who did well. In fact, they did better than the statewide uh, candidates who ran, which to me is a clear indication that if they just if we had just had a party that yeah. was in better shape, you know, so I, you know, I, I, I will say. You know, to what you said, I will say, yes. Uh, Democrats didn't have a chance, but Democrats didn't have a chance because we don't have a party that's worth a dime right now. Yeah, and that's yeah, just a fact. That's just a fact. It is, man. And it's, it a, is. Liter- it's, and it's yeah. a literal fact, apparently, yeah. you know, because they're yeah. saying the finances are crap. So, <laughs> you know, it, it may be a literal fact as well as a, as a figurative yeah. fact. You yeah, know? yeah. And I still it's... say until until the leadership gets together and it's not just and I'm not just pointing fingers at the leaders, but I think it starts at the top until yep. the leadership gets together and they make and they make a conscientious effort to work together. I don't care how much they do individually. It's not going to matter how much yeah. good they do individually is not going to matter. They've got to function as a unit. They've got to create a culture of winning, of success, of viability. They've got to re- they've got to eliminate the dysfunction culturally. And they have to do that together. And until that happens, this isn't this thing, this ship is it's not going anywhere. Yeah, and you know the the depressing part is is right now there is not a lot of signs that that's that's going to happen. Um as a matter of fact, I continue to get emails uh from uh SDEC members um, who are upset uh, because of a lot of, of a lot of things that you just mentioned, and also that there's going to be apparently another meeting held later this month, 
in which they try to rewrite those bylaws uh, mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and <clears throat> I, you know, I just, out of all the problems, you know, uh, more inclusivity is not the problem. It's not, you know, uh, it, it just, it, it just isn't. And when what, what's been done to the bylaws to make them, you know, uh, match more so with, with the national bylaws that that's not should should not be the focus. You know, it, it's obvious that you can still get the votes here if you're uh, the head of the Black Caucus of the Democratic Party. You can still get the votes to control the thing. You know, um, Joe Reed just did it yeah. again. Yeah. And, you know, even though even though he is a very polarizing figure, he still managed to do that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, imagine if there was a more popular head of the Black Caucus. I mean, there would be no problem, you mm -hmm. know, and it just, I don't know, man, you're, you're right. It's it, it not worth a dime is a, is a good way to, a uh, good way to phrase it. And I, I just, it, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's depressing mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. that, that they won't, that they, there seems to be no interest in setting aside this nonsense. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, it, it's all personal, all personal stuff. And, so anyway, that's uh, you know we began twenty twenty three as we ended twenty twenty two. So happy New Year! <laughs> I mean, uh, welcome back, baby. Uh, uh, same as you know, out with the old, in with the old. Yeah, uh, as LC uh, uh, Cole once said. Uh, uh, mm. You know, that's. Uh, but yeah, listen. Before we move on to mm -hmm. to all of our topics and everything, how was uh, how was the break? You have a good holidays. Yeah, yeah, had a good holiday. Other than <clears throat> other than. Um, well, let's see. Okay, I think let's see. We were our last podcast was mid December. Oh, okay, yeah, I'd already gotten over it. I had COVID, you know. Uh, yeah. I'd gotten COVID, and uh, was able to shake that off. Thank God, fairly easily. Uh, you know, uh, I took a lot of vitamin D, a lot of vitamin C. Uh, I'm uh, hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. No. Ivermectin. No. No. I opted not to do either one of those. <clears throat> Strange. Those things would have cured it like that. I don't understand. Wait, why? Yeah, <laughs> why yeah, you I, toyed around with it? Yeah, I just opted. I opted to, to go in a more, uh, uh, let's say, scientifically valid direction <laughs> with the vitamins and uh, and also elderberry. Elderberry seems to have uh, have has uh, played a role in my recovery. You know, whenever my wife tries to give me elderberry, I always feel like I'm on Game of Thrones. You know, taking <laughs> you know, I mean, like I'm like just. You know what I mean? It's like you're here, you know, say, take the milk of the poppy, and you know, what am I doing here? You know, it's, it's uh, good telling you, uh, man. It works. It works. It works. Oh, I don't, I don't doubt it. It's always yeah. but performed fine for me. So, uh, and, it's just it always makes me feel weird. And I'll tell you something else that works. That's really fundamental. Yeah, getting more rest. Just getting uh, more rest, man. Yeah. So I was yeah. able to do that. But yeah, the holidays were great, man. Had a you know, kind of low key, chill time. Was able to, yeah. you know, spend time with friends and family, and uh, right up, right up through New Year's, man. So it's been great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a same same way over yeah. over here for the most part. You know, I told you before we left. I love all that. I'm, I'm essentially Clark Griswold, and uh, we uh, <laughs> we did all the family stuff that we could do. Went to all the all the family parties and hung out with everybody and. 
Um, you know, went, uh, had a nice New Year's Eve uh, dinner with my brother and his wife. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the little one, uh, she got to hang out with her cousins and, uh, yeah. got, you know, and, and hang out with family and stuff all pretty much every day and, uh, received way too much stuff. Uh, an embarrassing amount of things that, you know, I told her if we got one more thing that her mother and I were going to have to move out and just give her the house. And so, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was a really good time and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, but I'm glad to be back doing this. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's always fun to, to come on and talk about things. And, um, even if we have to begin with, um, uh, the Alabama Department of Corrections, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> which honestly, if you do a show like this, it is, as Eddie would say, the gift that keeps on giving mm-hmm. the whole year long, mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. that jelly of the month club. Um, at, it's a, it, so this week, I, and I'll just read you the story that we wrote in, uh, in APR, uh, John Glenn, uh, covered this for us. And, uh, uh, the Alabama Department of Corrections has removed statistics on the number of deaths in their monthly reports on conditions and operations within the department-controlled facilities. The department has yet to respond to questions regarding the reasoning behind the removal of the death tally, but wrote in a summary of revisions included with the latest monthly report from October that, quote, all death statistics for inmates in ADOC custody are reported by month in the Joint Legislative Prison Oversight Committee quarterly report. Here's the uh, here's the kicker, mm. uh, the the shot and the chaser, as the kids might say. Mm. Chaser here, the department has yet to release reports for the previous two quarters. So my goodness, essentially, listen. Well, what they have done is, I believe that our approach to COVID has revamped the way we're going to handle government going forward. Because hmm. during COVID, we realized that if you don't test for it, you don't have it. All right. Hmm. So uh, and that lowered our numbers significantly. And in prison deaths, if you don't report them, who knows if they happened? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So that's that seems to be the approach that we're taking. There's a lot of bad news coming out of the prison. So let's just stop giving them the bad news. Uh, Hmm. And uh, that is it is atrocious what this what what's happening right here with this. Okay. Yeah. These are these are human beings. Yeah. These are human beings that are in the care of the state. Because that's what prisons are. Mm-hmm. They are controlled by the state. They are under the watchful eye, supposedly, of the people. If you cannot keep people from dying while in that controlled environment, mm-hmm. then you should no longer be able to control that environment. Yeah. Now, of course the, the the only exception I think we probably both agree Two is that we understand there are people who, due to age or health, may pass away in prison. But of course, but, but aside yes. from that, if it's not if it's not a net, you know, if we're not talking about natural causes here, then uh-huh. there's a problem. And and what I wonder, Josh, is whether or not, I mean, if it were if I had if I had a relative, God forbid, but if I had a relative who was incarcerated right now in the state of Alabama, I would really be exploring under what grounds a class action lawsuit could be pursued. Because Mm -hmm. it seems to me as though it is an affront, not only is it an affront to the family members of the incarcerated, 
but I believe it is a, a flat out injustice yeah. that that you could potentially uh if i'm if I'm understanding this correctly as a family member, you could potentially go for months and not know whether or not your loved one was dead or alive. Mm-hmm. You could potentially go for months. And, 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 and I, that's the way it sounds to me. Now, if that's not the case, if they're saying, no, we would let family members know and uh, we just wouldn't. But then my question would be, well, then why would there be this, uh, why would there be one approach for families and another approach for the public record? That doesn't make sense. Well, I don't. I think in most of these cases, uh, you know, the the report that we're that we're discussing here, I don't think that they gave uh, identifiable information necessarily uh, uh, for the for the prisoners. Yeah. Um, I think that it was uh, just simply statistics on deaths. You know that that there were uh, you know five deaths at whatever facility, and they were you know un, undetermined cause. You know suicide. Um, uh, you know, what violence, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so the, look, there's only one reason for them doing it. And it's what we said here before is that they're, they're cutting this out because it's, it's a black eye on the department. They've had so many deaths over the course of the last couple of years and they continue to rise that they, they, they want to stop reporting this. And, um, you know, at what point? What? Let me ask you this: What the hell is the Department of Justice studying exactly? I mean, we, we we've been investigating. Right. Uh, they've been investigating Alabama's prisons now for what four or five years. Right. I mean, I think we I, I think we know well, you mm-hmm. know that, that, that what the problems are at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so either you're going to take some action or you're not, and it, it, it's time to you know to to make a move here because this is. We're not getting better. We're getting worse. Yeah. We're getting absolutely worse here. And uh, a couple of new prisons ain't going to get it done. No, um, no, because that's not the problem. No, the it's pro- not the problem. Yeah, that's not the problem. So I mean, we, yeah. we, we went for a span in the course of COVID, right, where we put restrictions on prisons. Mm-hmm. And part of those restrictions were no visitations. None. You, no, I'm talking about you couldn't have attorneys come for visits. You couldn't have family members come for visits. They went for a full year, more than a year. Uh, with these restrictions in place on these guys and when women in prisons, that they could not have any visitation at all. So there was nobody coming in and out of that prison every day except for the guards and the folks that are, del- you know, that, that are making standard deliveries. All right. And yet the deaths went up. The overdose death went mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what? And that, was a, <laughs> and that was a flimsy excuse anyway, because if you're having guards, and delivery people come in, then you're exposed. So what? Right. What? So what? What huge difference are yeah. attorneys going to make or family members? You're already exposed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah well, a, of course, it didn't make. That was a flimsy it's, it's just something anyway. that they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. they wanted to do to be extra cruel to people is fine. Yeah. But but my point is, I think we've isolated where the drug problem is coming from. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And it, and it continues today. We, did you read the story? <laughs> Did you read the story about the arrest they made of the of the former guard and his wife at Limestone? Did you read this? I, I don't Where know they busted if I, him for I don't... promoting prison contraband. 
Okay, I think I saw the headline for that. I don't remember yeah. reading it. Yeah, break it down because I don't remember reading it. Oh, because you so so you didn't you didn't read what the contraband was. No, this wait a man minute. was making this man was making hamburgers. Oh, I yeah. Well, I saw I saw that, which yeah. was strange. Which was kind of I thought that was kind yeah. of weird. So so we've we've busted a couple guards here lately. One mm-hmm. for smuggling in porn that mm-hmm. he was uh, dishing out to to inmates, and the other one for uh, hamburgers. But yet. All these damn drugs, yeah. yeah, going in and out, yeah. and we can't seem to yeah. knock that yeah. down. I, it just yeah, nobody's it getting nobody, nobody's getting caught for that. Yeah, yeah, it, it reeks of uh, of of something in place here that they know is happening, but they're either scared to try to stop it because they think that it will expose. Uh, that this is my theory. All right, okay. and this is just a theory. All this right. is just an educated guess. Okay. Is that if they actually started cracking down on this, it would expose a level of corruption within the prisons that was unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's part of it. And I think it would stretch into uh, into some of the top positions at some of these places. And I think that a lot of people are aware that it's happening. I think if you and I, listen, I, I'll say this. I don't say that just as wild speculation. Mm-hmm. I say that because people who are in those prisons have told me that, mm-hmm. that, that there are, because trust me, you, you want to find out what's going on in a prison, write something about how the prisons need to be changed because uh, of these deaths and what's happening with these deaths and just open up your email inbox the next day mm-hmm. uh, because they flood in, and I'm still getting emails from prisoners and from people, from family members of prisoners. It's it is unbelievable, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and so we we've set up this environment that is uh, you're basically running a drug den uh, yeah. in there, and, and so a lot, even when we're not talking about overdose deaths, where some of the violence is related to the drug trade that's happening within the prison walls. Mm. Um, you know, some of the suicides are related to to the drug trades that's happening in there, and and from people being unable to to afford this stuff anymore, and it, it's just a, a whole system within there that we have we have allowed to fester mm-hmm. uh, to the point now where it seems as though we're afraid to stop it, and so we're just going to stop reporting on the results of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something. I think you're on something with your. Um, <clears throat> With your theory, um, I've always suspected in the free world where we have, uh, you know, drugs being sold on the streets that, uh, that there was a certain amount of winking and nodding that was going on with, uh, you know, authority figures, law enforcement, uh, you know, because, you know, you know, there has to be, as we as we used to say years ago in the black community, you know, uh, you know, OK, you know, you, you know, you see, bro, you know, brothers are always but busted for dealing. But we know brothers ain't the ones flying planes, bringing over drugs. They're not the ones they're not the ones laundering the money, you know. So, you know, this idea that you're 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 dealing, you know, you're 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 doing such a job of law enforcement. By busting a street level dealer is absolutely laughable. It's laughable. Oh, exactly. So I would say the same thing is true here. The idea that you're busting some, you know, some guards for uh, some trafficking, 
is uh, is probably laughable. There's probably something much more, uh, I'm going to say, nefarious and and and, mm-hmm. and textured going on here uh, that enables that to happen. And uh, and so yeah. I think you're onto something. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's, uh, and as Omar said, it's all part of the game. You know, mm-hmm. um, I carry a shotgun, you carry a briefcase, and mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, you know, and it's and and it's the guys with the briefcases that usually are. Uh, you know, the real villains behind a lot of this when the other folks are just kind of the foot soldiers of the whole deal. Um, and no, I, I, I listen, I, I, if you take a step, if anybody takes a step back for just a second and actually considers what, what we're talking about, all right, we're mm-hmm. talking about a controlled facility uh, where everybody that comes through the doors every single day is monitored and you know exactly who they are and who and what's coming in. Most of them get a pat down. A lot of them go through screening. Uh, so you know everybody that's coming in and you control every exit and entrance every single day. And there are a limited number of people that are coming in and out of those places all the time. So in addition to that, all of these people on the inside of this are supposed to be locked in, locked down, folks. You know, they're supposed to be in certain areas every, and you're supposed to keep track of them every single minute of every single day. Mm-hmm. So the idea... That within this environment, such a robust drug operation could flourish to the point where we are losing dozens of people per month from drug overdoses. And that we know that these uh, that this is is such a well listen when we know it this is not some speculations we know that this is a multi million dollar operation happening within these systems mm-hmm. within these prison walls mm-hmm. okay it is we know I've heard it from the prisoners that are there I you know that what's taking place so the idea that this could flourish unbeknownst to the people that are running the prisons mm-hmm. while everybody on the outside who talks to prisoners know that it's happening I mean. Come on, y'all. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, Come let me, on. Let me let me toss this in there too. I don't. I haven't talked to uh, because I haven't been doing, you know, reporting like you've been doing for a number of years. I've been out of the reporting business, uh, at least the 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 daily and weekly reporting business. But um, but I will say uh, there was a point in my life as a reporter and as a and as a columnist. Where I was, uh, I was in the prison sometimes. I was uh-huh. in, specifically, I was in limestone. I would, I would go right. to limestone, and um, you know, sometimes I was in there reporting. Sometimes I was in there uh, as a guest speaker. And what I noticed was that uh, there is a, you know, I don't know what the ratio is, but I know I was in one situation where there were about. My estimation, my recollection is, let's say, let's say there were 300 prisoners in the gymnasium. Right. Uh, I can tell you there weren't even 30 guards in that gymnasium. Right. Right. So, so you have a situation where, you you know, your guards, your, 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 your enforcement, your, your enforcement in the, in the prison is uh, the ratio between the enforcement in the prison and the prisoners is is probably less than one in ten would be my guess. So, um, oh, I think it's worse than that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Far far worse than that. I'm I'm sort of yeah. being conservative, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, oh, you're, being, you're being 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in a situation like that, I would imagine that if there is an enterprise, an illicit enterprise going on, um, it probably is tied directly to, or I'll say it this way, I can imagine where the safety of every non-prisoner inside those walls may be tied to the ability of that enterprise to be successful. No, you know? I, don't, I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. I don't doubt that at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't doubt that there's a lot of fear running running through what, what's taking place in, in, in there as well. I, and, um, you know, I don't, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I don't necessarily fault the uh, correctional officers uh, for some of it. But in a lot of cases, I, I think that, you know, there are some of those guys who are involved. And, and we've, we've, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it in the past from from this, from and mostly federal investigations that have turned up some of this stuff. And so uh, I do believe that there is some of that taking place. Uh, and, and and I don't believe it just because I think it's a, cra- a crazy thing to believe. I believe it because people who are there in the prisons who have participated have told me what's going on, you know? So, so, and, so Josh, if you are a, if you are a warden or an assistant warden or somebody else, I would imagine that to some degree, and again, this is speculative on my part. I haven't done the reporting like you've done. I'm just using common sense. I would imagine that to some degree, my safety as one of those people would also be tied into that. That there yeah. might be a certain level of, uh, you know, uh, in order for me to make sure that I can get to go home every night certain things I might just have to kind of turn the other way on, you know, unless, yeah, unless I was willing to just, uh, you know, uh, you know, be cunning, smart and create some kind of a full on assault on what was happening to just completely dismantle it, clean it out. Yeah. And I can imagine that'd be a lot of work. Oh, it would be, especially for somebody making, you know, what, 30 grand a year, mm-hmm. uh, what, you know, which we're paying these guys nothing uh, to do this very dangerous job mm-hmm. um, every day. And, and a job that is in, uh, I mean, just one of the worst working environments you can ever imagine, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you're paying them nothing. And I mean, so, yeah, there's a lot of incentive uh, to, to make a little more here or there. Uh, it just uh, the whole setup that we have is wrong. The way we spent money is wrong. The enforcement that we've done is wrong. The The way that we have gone about trying to fix issues is wrong. Uh, you know, it just it, it and and it reeks of when you, when you have that many wrong things taking place, it reeks of people trying to do things the wrong way for a certain reason, you yep. know, and. That's uh, listen. I'm not even getting into some of the some of the wilder conspiracies, and I, I, and I honestly I hesitate to, to say conspiracies because that um, makes you makes people doubt them uh, from the get go here. And and really, they're they're not conspiracies. They're what people have told me uh, that they've witnessed happening in in prisons. And I mean, I have some of the wilder stories about uh, who's involved in what and what they've you know what they saw take place and what they know took place. And it's just it's it's a crazy. Sort of a thing. It's honestly like something out of a TV show. The only problem is apparently nobody cares what happens in a prison. Mm. Um, you know, but I, I don't, man, it just, um, it's, it's depressing that we've reached this level 
of it where now now they the ADOC feels like it's less problematic for them to just stop reporting on the deaths um, and that be a thing. And it it just, I, you know, those are human beings in in those prisons. And, and they are in a lot of cases, people that made just a couple of bad decisions because of addiction issues, mostly. Um, And, and, you know, it could have happened as we know now from a lot of people, uh, especially the, I think the opioid epidemic opened a lot of eyes as to what could happen to, to families and to, to loved ones and people that you knew and who would never do something like that. And all of a sudden they did. And, you know, um, you know, there's no reason for these folks to be treated this way. And, right. and we've got to do something to figure this out. And what we're doing now, it ain't it, man. Nope. This ain't it. Nope. You know? Uh, but if you would like to, to know a little more about, uh, the history of everything and how maybe we, you know, came to, to some portion of this and how, why the world is the way it is, uh, there are a lot of stories out there, historically speaking, uh, Mm -hmm. that could, uh, that could lead you to these, uh, to, you know, to the reality of today and, uh, the cause of a cause and effect of a lot of situations that have happened. And one of them. Uh, was a story written by uh, Sharon Tubbs. Uh, it's a book uh, they got, Daddy. Mm. Uh, that and uh, she's going to uh, to join us when we come back on Alabama politics. <laughs> See, man, I go away for a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, I can't even say the damn name of the show. <laughs> Look at that! Look at that! Look at that! <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's Alabama politics. <laughs> So she's going to join us when we come back on Alabama Politics this week. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics this week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week. And we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast. And I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, and of course, I'm David Person. And we are very happy to have with us today for our first podcast of the new year, 2023, uh, the author of a book that has a fascinating title and a very I would say simultaneously thought-provoking and and sad sort of title, um, uh, you know, uh, and and topic. Uh, the title of of the book is "They Got Daddy." They got daddy, and it was written by Sharon Tubbs. She uh, she helps run a nonprofit up in I think it's Ohio. Is that right or Indiana? Indiana. Indiana. Yes, uh, Indiana. Indiana, Northeast. Right, but uh, but she has a journalism background, and uh, I came across an article that Sharon wrote about the book, 
And after I read, the, after I, I looked at the article, I, I, I sent Josh a message and said, Josh, we got to have her on. This is, this is a powerful story uh, written by somebody who obviously knows how to tell a story. So Sharon, welcome. We're glad to have Thank you with you. us. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So uh, they got daddy. Give us the just give us the, 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 the brief synopsis of the book. The book is about my maternal grandfather. His name uh, was Israel Page, and he was a man who lived in Alabama uh, in the Browns and Uniontown area. So that's Dallas and Perry County. Uh, in the 19 early 1900s <clears throat> through 1970 and he um or I'm sorry through 1980 and he was involved in a car accident in 1954 uh he was hit by a, a sheriff's deputy from Talladega County uh on his way um either to work or into town uh on uh highway 80 near Selma and so the sheriff's deputy was taking a, an insane uh, black man to Mount Vernon Hospital uh, in 1954. My grandfather, he broadsided my grandfather and the car accident left my grandfather lame in one arm and totaled, totaled his car. And so he was no longer able to drill wells, which was his primary source of income. Uh, he sued the deputy. And the night before trial, he was kidnapped by, we believe, white supremacists. Mm -hmm. And so, so that, that's mm -hmm. the they got daddy part. Right, right. Yes. And that was my mother saying that to me when I was uh, a young girl watching television one day uh, on a news story. We saw the Klan was marching in Indiana, which is where my mom moved to, of course. And... Um, I was surprised that the Klan still existed. And she said, yes, they got daddy. And so there began my kind of quest to find out what those words meant and what the about the accident and the kidnapping and all, all right. of that. So what I find uh, what I have found um, is um, as an African-American is that there are many of us who have similar stories. Yeah. In our heritage, um, you know, stories about when I say similar stories, I mean, stories where there were confrontations with white people that could have killed our relatives or, in fact, in some cases did kill our, our and I say relatives, I should say ancestors, uh, our ancestors, uh, either they, they were killed or they could have been killed. Also, uh, incidents where uh, family members were essentially forced to decide whether or not to stay where they were living or to leave in right. order to be safe. And, and I've got that as part of my family history. And from everything I'm hearing you say, uh, this is what happened to your family. So you were how old when you found out about this story? I was about 10. Um, yeah, I was about 10, 12, somewhere in there. I was in elementary school. Uh, still very wide-eyed and naive to uh, racism, uh, very friendly, of course, with, um, <clears throat> you know, classmates of different ethnicities and things like that. And so that's why when I saw this on the news, I was unaware at that moment that those scary people with the costumes, 
still existed, um, the Klan. Uh, and that's when my mother told me this and my eyes began to open that not only did they exist, that they were part of uh, this very tragic story for our family. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one more question before Josh jumps in. Um, a lot of times in families, uh, these stories are not discussed openly. They're, they're, they're kept as secrets. People don't talk about uh, the situations or even uh, the, 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 the impact that's had on the family. Uh, a lot of times what happens is the, the younger generation will just kind of stumble on this information. Uh, do you feel like that's what happened in your case or do you feel uh, differently? Very much so. And I can't say that it was um, intentional uh, in that, you know, they got together and they said, let's not tell anyone this. Uh, that I don't think is what happened among my, you know, aunts, uncles and my mom. It was a tragic story that they didn't want to, they didn't feel was happy enough to talk about. Um, they didn't feel it, it was feel good enough to talk about. And they were traumatized. My, um, you know, uh, family was traumatized by this. My grandfather did not die in that kidnapping, but there was still a lot of trauma associated with this uh, scary time when police and family members were scouring the countryside, looking for him, trying to find out what happened. They had no idea what, what was going on. Um, and him coming back beaten and, you know, bruised and battered, not only physically, but even more so emotionally. My grandfather was a pastor um, he was a church pastor in this area, in the community. And so people, he was one of those who people looked up to for guidance and faith. And so there is this question, not only of, you know, justice, but how does something like this, um, how does this jive with faith in a, in a just God? And so all of those things were at play. So no, this was not a story that, I heard at the family reunion. This this was, you know, along with, you know, people laughing and slapping their knee and talking about, oh, do you remember what Robert Lee did or Dave, that crazy man? He did this and this and that. So this was not one of those stories that they felt like passing down. So I did happen upon it um, this in this chance encounter and seeing this on the news. And even today. Um, you know, in my retelling of the story and in writing the book, you know, cousins have no idea they, they're like, what happened when, you know, so it, it's news to people in the family today. I think that um, I, it's understandable why it was not passed down, like something like this was not passed down. I think, though, that it should be. I think that um, our ancestors uh, in retelling their experiences uh, with racism in the past, with how they overcame that. Uh, I, I think there is um, good in talking to our next generation about 
uh, even the painful experiences mm. that we've had. Yeah, I, I, just listen, obviously, you know, I, I don't, uh, my family does not have any sort of, you know, hi- historical context like that. Um, and, um, and as a matter of fact, it, it's my, to me, it's more shameful because I, I didn't have, I don't have any idea of most of these stories. You know, we don't, uh, we no nobody told me as a white kid growing up in, in Alabama about any of this stuff, you know, and, uh, and even today, I think we all know that there is a nationwide effort to, to suppress as many of these stories as possible, which is why there's so much outrage about CRT uh, and, and, you know, this phony nonsense of, of uh, people acting as though if we tell the <laughs> stories and everybody's going to hate each other. And, um, but is it, uh, do, do you feel like in there too, because uh, I, I have, I've, I've written a lot of, of stories about people, because uh, I worked for a long time in Montgomery. And so we, we did a lot of stories about, you know, the bus boycott and, and the march from Selma and a lot of the efforts that went on with a lot. And there were still at that time and still today, there are a number of figures there that, uh, that I became really close with, like Fred Gray and some of the other folks that, that worked during those times. And, uh, and and uh, one of the people that I, I became really close with was uh, Reverend uh, Robert Grates and his wife, Jeannie. And they they ran uh, the church um, where Rosa Parks was lead, uh, led the youth fellowship and they worked in the bus boycott. But they were two white uh, white people and, you know, their house was bombed frequently. And, you know, the one of the things that they said was is when they left. Uh, but even though they were transferred by the church, that when they left, they felt like they were kind of running uh, from it. Um, and and do you feel like that? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't want to say like that that that, that people feel felt uh, uh, bad about the choice that they made to just get away from this, you know, to get away from this violence, to protect their family, to move because I think it was absolutely the right decision. But do you feel like that they they're in some way that it plays in that there's some level of almost shame that they, they they didn't stay and fight and that's one of the reasons why we don't talk about these things like that that that, that there's no uh, I think a lot of times those old stories people want to have this heroic ending to it you know and and mm-hmm. and so in a lot of these there's not there's just hey we needed to survive man you know and and they got out do you feel like that played a part in not telling this story. Okay, clarification. You said when they left. Oh, left. like because your your family, if I'm not mistaken, y'all y'all moved from from Alabama and went to to Indiana and to other places, right? And so so I'm just wondering if because that was the same way with the grasses. It was the same way with uh, with the several other families that I've talked to. Their families they they had enough at a point, uh, you know, after attacks and things. Um, and, and you know, we we've interviewed a couple of other folks on our podcast. Uh, one uh, one woman whose father was was murdered by the Klan. Um, and, you know, and they, they left as well. You know, she, she ended up in upstate New York with her her mother and, um, and, and they talked about, there was just the feeling that they, you know, they had to get away and that maybe there wasn't as much, uh, you know, pride in doing that. And that's one of the reasons it's holding people back from talking about these things. I think that, um, I, I think, yes, there are. There is, I shouldn't say regret, but there's a sense of um, sadness, I should say, in my family uh, that my grandfather 
uh, endured this, endured this mm-hmm. treatment. Uh, and, you know, he he was actually a very well liked man in the community by by um, blacks and white people. He worked right. for a white well drilling company and and all of that. And so he was very well liked. I, I think so. There's that sadness that yeah. in the end, when this thing happened and there were these people who had been or who may have who the family thought were allies. OK, um, for the cause did not step up at this crucial moment. OK, um, so there's sadness there now for I, people left the South during the Great Migration for a number of reasons. Um, wanting to escape the racism of that time in in the Jim Crow South was one of them. And, and for my uncle, who was the first, my uncle Willie James, was the first to leave um, Alabama and move to Indiana, um, that was definitely part of it um, in, in that he wanted to escape what was happening there. Uh, he, he was very disappointed by the decision, um, by the injustice, I'll just say. I don't want to give away the whole book if somebody wants to buy it. Um, but he was just, <laughs> he was very uh, disappointed by the injustice. And he decided, he told my grandfather, one one day that he was going to move up to the up north and he was going to go there because he wanted to be in a place where a, a black man could be a man mm-hmm. and support his family. Right. Uh, and so he made that migration a couple of years later. Now, it was interesting that my grandfather, however, even after this, never, never desired to leave the South. And uh, he loved the South. He loved the country. He did not like anything about the North, um, the, the factories, the, you know, the city, city life and all that did not appeal to him. And he told my uncle at the time when he was confronted with this, he said, you can go up there, but you'll be just as black when you cross that Mason Dixon line as you are now. Mm. And what my uncle discovered when he crossed that Mason-Dixon line and came up to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then several of his siblings, including my mother, followed, um, there was the racism and, you know, uh, the injustice here as well. Hence, you know, a Klan rally in Indiana, uh, you know. But now yeah. my father, my father, um, who was also from Alabama, he came for very different reasons. And his reasons for coming um, during the Great Migration North were economic, not necessarily, um, you know, justice and social issues, but economic issues. He wanted to um, get a better job and make more money and send some of the money down to his family. Which So, so it, the reasons that people left varied. Um, I don't think that there was shame in that we, you know, we escaped or we left it was more about in terms in my family just the sadness of the situation and not necessarily wanting to highlight that right yeah and and uh, you know 
my my point was, you know, I, there there should be no shame at all because in right. in many ways the the it's very heroic to to uproot your family and what you've known and say yeah. I'm not going to subject subject my my folks to this any longer. We're yeah. going to go to this unknown place and and make our way and 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 where it's a slightly more uh you know. Uh, there's slightly more justice and equality for us uh, there, right. but you know, it, it still, uh, yeah, it just you know, it just kind of struck me that it, it's almost like uh, that we've romanticized the fight uh, in a way, and it's and it's made it harder for people to say that this was the right move for a lot of people, yeah. and and maybe it, it's it's kept a lot of these stories from from being told because there are a ton of these stories out there of yeah. of, of people that were traumatized and. Uh, and families that had to to uproot uh, themselves and you know and move move to different parts of the of the country and um, it does does your family now or do you still have family in Alabama and or and how do you how does the family view the South at this point? Uh, I don't have yes uh, there there are some cousins um, and distant relatives that are still in Alabama, but the core group from, you know, my grandmother, grandfather, and, and that whole line did move away from, from that rural setting. I did have some aunts who moved to Birmingham, Bessemer area. Yeah. 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 So. So Sharon, Oh, go ahead, Josh. I'm sorry. sorry, I just had one. I had one more because there was one part of this that I, mm-hmm. that I didn't, and and you may have. We're going to cover this, David. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes, but huh. I, you know the the one of the, one of the more intriguing parts of the, of the book to me is is the fact that uh, uh, your grandfather was a pastor, um, mm-hmm. and and this because I've heard this from uh, from a number of people. This whole kind of juxtaposition of the church. Uh, and uh, you know white supremacy and and what happened to them and the way and the way that the church was often used by a lot of those people in the clan to justify yes. what they were doing and I just wondered did that how what was that dynamic like uh, you know from from you going back and 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 studying what happened within your family and with with him what was that dynamic like with, when religion entered into this and and kind of was was the focus uh, for him. I think that, you know, religion kind of permeated life, um, you know, every area or aspect of life for him, uh, as, as it has for, you know, my grandmother, um, my mother, it, it just seeps in. So it's not like at one point religion came into it. It was just there. And I believe not having had the opportunity to talk with him about this. Um, but I believe that um, the faith that he had in God was part of the reason that he pursued this civil lawsuit against the sheriff's deputy. Uh, you know, they were in Alabama. This was 19, the early 1950s. This was prior to the civil rights movement getting into full swing. Um, you know, so this was the, he filed the lawsuit, I believe it was the same year, um, later that year, the Montgomery boy, uh, bus boycott. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there took, it took some courage for him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> it took yes. some courage yeah. for him to do that. And I think faith played a role. I mm-hmm. don't, 
what I know is that after the kidnapping, uh, he was able to still find reasons to hold on to faith. So at that point, it wasn't, you know, God's going to deliver me. God's going to give me the victory. It was God spared my life uh, when these men, you know, kidnapped me. So he would say, uh, you know, because I I found um, some of his sermons um, and look through those. And I know that after the kidnapping, he would often testify, so to speak, in church about how God delivered him through this turmoil and, and through this ordeal and saved his life. And he would say um, that during this beating that four men, or I think it was three at the, at, in the wood, in the woods at that time, but during this time that these that he was being beaten, the earth, he used to say, the earth shook like a drunken man. Hmm. And hmm. all of a sudden they were afraid and they left him there. Oh, so he believes there was some sort of supernatural exactly. uh, occurrence to stop the beating. Yes. Yeah, so he would say, hmm. you know, they were doing this and the earth shook like a drunken man. And, and that's actually uh, a paraphrase of scripture. Yeah, There's a scripture yeah. that, yeah, that right. says that. And so um, that's how he he kind of dealt with this is that, yes, bad things happen to good people. And sometimes justice is not realized. But here's the part about this, that even in this sad time, God was there with me and he spared my life from this evil. Now, what city did this happen in or what county did it happen in? Uh, my grandfather at that time lived in Browns, which is, was an unincorporated area in Dallas County. Um, they then moved to shortly after that, they moved to Uniontown in Perry County, which is right near it, near there. Okay. So they were in rural Dallas County and then they moved to Uniontown after Mm -hmm. he was freed from the kidnappers, after the kidnappers let him go. Did he have any more problems with the kidnappers? No, no, he he didn't. Did he drop the lawsuit? Yes, I was trying to hold that part, David. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) you know what, Sharon? I was trying to have a little suspense, but okay, (laughs) yes, he did. But you know what? It's such a compelling story. I don't think that's going to stop anybody from reading. Okay, good. No, no, absolutely not. There was that would not stop anybody. It is the whole thing is is a very compelling story. And, yes. and I and I wondered too about, you know, the, you know, we talked about the courage that it took your grandfather even to take such an action. Did you, were you able to get a sense of what his thought process was leading up to making that decision? Because that's that's a pretty, you know, in Jim Crow Alabama, that's a pretty major decision. You know, we know of stories of people who were killed just for not speaking respectfully to white people. Right. So the idea that that that, you know, a black man would go to this step, go to those lengths 
to hold a white man accountable is really astounding. There were a couple of things that I believe were at play here. Again, my grandfather was well-liked by uh, many white people in the community. In fact, he worked for Radford Wells. And so, um, you know, he would go to Mr. Radford's house and eat breakfast with the family. Um, in news articles that I've found and researched this um, issue, um, they referred to him as a, a good Negro. Um, so uh, I praise indeed. Yeah, that's a, ooh, yeah. Um, I say that with a dose of sarcasm, of course, yeah, but yeah, me too. With, mm. with um, after the kidnapping, the the actual actually the bar association put out a statement saying that they, you know, this was a good Negro and they needed the police needed to be diligent in finding out who was behind this. I say that to say that my grandfather, unlike my grandmother, um, and, you know, their children um, had this rapport with white people in the community where I think he felt um, some comfort there. I, I think that he didn't feel as much fear. Um, also, there was some desperation because after the car accident, he was a pastor, but he didn't get any money from pastoring. Um, you know, in those days, people weren't, you know, giving tithe that that uh, amounted to much. But uh, he was a well driller. So after the accident, he lost the use of his right arm and he could no longer drill wells. So the family was then um very poor, not that they weren't, you know, challenged before, but at that point they had to get on welfare at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this was a family, you know, my grandparents had 13 children of their own and then also later raised three grandchildren. So th they, they had a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> some of them were grown by that time. But still, there there were at least yeah. seven or eight kids in the house, and they they needed money. And so mm -hmm. through this loss, and he couldn't work. My grandmother didn't work at that time. You know, there were sharecroppers. They got just a, a little bit from the things that they picked on the land. So he needed he needed money. He needed some some help here with his family, and he could no longer work. And so this lawsuit was going to pave the way for him to get some compensation to take care of the family. So I think there were a couple of things at play. I think there was this desperation um, and, and you know, wanting justice here. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to have to pay for this. Right. And there was this, there, there hadn't been like outward lynchings in that community um, in recent years, not not that there never had been, but in recent years, I think there was a comfort level that he felt, even with the white community, that after this all happened, he found was was pro probably misplaced. Did he ever so did he regret? Do you get the sense that he regretted filing the lawsuit? I don't know. That that's a good question. I don't know. I know that in news articles, um, he was actually interviewed uh, after this, after the kidnapping. And he talked about how scared he was, um, you know, and and how every time the dog outside barked, he jumped. 
Um, and he he just felt he could not move forward with this because they threatened him. They talked about the lawsuit. He felt he couldn't he couldn't move forward with it because of, you know, the threats to his family. Wow. So that's wow. uh, it is a uh, it's a remarkable and, uh, in, 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 you know, some ways terrible um, mm-hmm. and a lot of ways terrible, actually. And, you know, but it is a. A story that is very important, I think, and a story that a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of white people, uh, should uh, should read. Uh, Yeah, really. And I'm being serious about that. It's, you know, I know it's it's uh, it's funny to put it that way, but it is. It's one. It's one that I wish that I had that I had read when I was younger to better understand what was happening around me. And I think the more of these stories that we tell uh, about the actual reality that happened and the things that affected families and the things that uprooted generations of people um, and, and forced them to start over from scratch, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that the more you explain it and the more this is uh, taken into consideration by people, especially the younger people, uh, the better off we'll all be. And so it, uh, I, we just appreciate you you coming on. Yes. Um, and and spending time and I appreciate this story and mm-hmm. and I we'll we'll do our best to to ship it around to people and make sure that folks buy the book and I, I I'm sorry that David ruined the whole thing for you uh, and uh, that he, he spoiled it I mean basically like give away the ending like his own lost or something here and, you know it's just uh, I'm sorry uh, we'll try to edit that part out and, uh, oh. just, can, can I kidding. say something though real sure. quick sure absolutely. Josh, um, I've I've gotten a number of really good reviews, uh, and one of the most heartwarming was from a white woman who read the book. And she said um, she was a reviewer and she said that she learned so much because she had been raised in a racist family. Mm -hmm. And for her. It was good to to be racist, to discriminate against her classmates and things that she was growing up. But something inside of her told her that that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she she grew up doing that, though, just to fit in with her family. And then at some later point came to an awakening in herself and said, no, this I'm not going to do this anymore. But when she read this book, she said that it, it answered so many questions that she had mm-hmm. about um many black families. The book goes into a, a, a number of different things. It talks about faith and church and, you know, um, shouting in church and the black church and all of those things that happen within our family dynamic. There's actually, if you can believe this, there's some humor there um, in the book because uh, and when you look at any black family's experience that I've encountered, it, there's the racism, there's the prejudice, but it's it's actually kind of overcome by this family bond and the the good stories that we share when we come together. Uh, and so and and how those times of struggle can actually bring us together. Right. So there's plenty of that. And there's my own story and revelation in researching the story, things that I was awakened to, Mm -hmm. um, ways that that traumatic event kind of filtered down through generations in into some of the experiences that I had and now how I processed them. So I appreciate you. I appreciate um, 
what you said uh, in your experience in dealing with racism. Um, but I, I, I truly think that, you know, anyone white or black um, who's who has just even a tinge of a sensitivity toward the division in our nation today, um, the racism um, would benefit from reading a story like this. Oh, I hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. It's a, Absolutely. It's a, like I said, it's a it's a very important story uh, to mm-hmm. tell, and uh, and and I appreciate you telling it, and that's, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on here and spending time with us, and um, and and I wish uh, I, I hope we'll do our best to to, to get it out, and uh, and hope it's uh, it sells like crazy, uh, and uh, we you know, we we'll get you back on when you write the next one, the follow up, where uh, <laughs> you know you. you <laughs> Maybe you write about me and David and how awesome we are or something. I don't know. You know it's Josh, it Fred Gray is in the book. I'm, I meant to mention this to oh, you. Oh, you really? talk about Fred Gray. He's yes. the NAACP. Yeah. Yes. 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 He's, he's in there. Okay. Well, I cool. talked to him, but one of the people uh, that he represented um, and that story is in there because it all happened around the time of my grandfather's story. So, yeah, well, he, so well he represented everybody. So, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's done. He represented everybody involved in the fight at one point or another. So it's, uh, listen, I, but seriously, thank you for coming on thank and spending you. some time and, and hopefully we'll hear from you again and good luck with the, with the book and, uh, and good luck in, in everything else. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank take you. David. Take care, Sharon. Bye bye. Uh, Sharon, Sharon she was that's great. Uh, yeah, and, and honestly, I, I, yeah. I hesitate to say great, uh, although the book is great. It's a yeah. terrible story, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. um, but it's it, it's an American history story. And, Man, yes. Um, it, it you know, and we could use more accurate American history all the way around. And, and I mean, I, it's you? not gonna it's not gonna make your your kids hate each other. You know. No, It'll no. Just, but I think you know, it. But I think it opens. And reason. Yeah, it opens eyes too, just to, you know, how bad things were. I mean, can you imagine somebody trying to do something like that today? You know, you're upset because somebody sues you and you kidnap them. What the hell? Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, a, you know, it's just a, uh, it's just such a awful story. You know, I mean, it is. It's just such an awful thing, and and honestly, there there's a vested interest that a lot of people have in not sharing stories like this, and these short yeah. stories like this not being shared around because people come to understand better that their neighbors, uh, the people who live next to them uh, and who live in their communities, and the people that they have been told are uh, a certain way. Uh, as me as uh, you know, uh, often a demeaning way, uh, because uh, people want to lessen what was done in the past and paint people as villains. Um, you know, these stories overcome those uh, stereotypes and those derogatory uh, imagery images that they in, in ways that people paint each other. And so, yeah, man, it's a it is such. Um, I'm sorry. I think David almost died there for a second, but um, it's. Uh, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Water went down the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching. David struggling. It's almost like he was drowning over. Like I was stroking out right, right before your very eyes. Yeah, my fault. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. Now listen, I, you know, but it's it's just 
the more of these stories we can get out in front of people, the better off we'll be uh, because people will understand more what happened in the past. And, and what happened in the past is, is a direct line to the way things are right now. And yep. I, I think that it just it just creates a whole level of compassion and a whole level of understanding that we just don't have right now. Yeah. Mm, that's right. That's right. All right, which let's is, slide out of here. Yeah, unless you got why, something else. No, I'm just going to say, which is why we've got to continue pushing back. Pardon me, pushing back against these efforts to suppress history. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, y'all buy the book. Uh, they got, they got daddy. Uh, from sharing tubs. So, all right, we're going to slide out. We'll come back in just a minute to uh, wrap this baby up. Alabama politics this week. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics This Week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back to Alabama Politics this week. Uh, yeah, uh, thanks to uh, Sharon Tubbs for coming on. That was a very interesting conversation. That, uh, oh man, yeah, yeah, that's a terrible story, but honestly, very well told by her, and mm-hmm. uh, she's great. She was a great guest too. Uh, yeah, get her back on at some point. Maybe she'll write something else. Yeah, um, she. You know, just the article that she wrote was was, um, you know, for me was just a great read, and so I know the book is going to be a great read. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, oh, by the way, I meant to mention this at the top. Uh, did did you watch? Uh, were you watching the uh, Bills and uh, Bengals game uh, when uh, Mark Hamlin went down? Man, no. But I'm gonna tell you when when I saw on social media these people started talking about it, I went to find you know, and I oh my god, that was horrible. Yeah, it's just terrible. That was horrible. I, I, I've never I, seen I, anything I, like that before. Oh, I've never, I, I, you know me, I watch thousands of hours of football. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. and I've, I've never seen anything like that either. I knew, I knew from the moment that when that, when the, when the first Bills trainer got out mm-hmm. there and he started looking up and yelling at a guy from, from Cincinnati who was out, uh, I knew there was, I couldn't tell what he was saying. Later it went back and you, and it zoomed in on him on, on a video that I watched and he was saying, Get an ambulance, get an ambulance, get an ambulance. Uh, and um, and they started, I mean, just like that, man. That dude from Cincinnati turned around and was just like, oh, yeah, get an ambulance. It's like something he did every day. Get, get an ambulance. And, uh, you know, and they started on the protocol at that point. And, uh, you know, and, and, and apparently, you know, from, from what I've seen today, uh, saved his life. And, yeah. and he seems as though he's going to make a recovery out of this. Um I don't know if it's a full recovery where he can play play again, uh, but it said his uh, uh, that his brain is, his uh, function is intact, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is fully intact is the word that they use, fully intact. 
Yeah, um, ESPN is reporting right now, even as we're recording this, that while he's unable to speak, he was able to communicate in writing. Oh, man, that is yeah. fantastic. So yeah, that I guess is, they still got the tube fantastic. down his throat, right? Yeah, he's still being intubated, but I think yeah. they, I heard earlier this morning that they had uh, they had flipped him, I think, on his stomach because they're trying to they're trying to get the blood I think to drain from his lungs if I'm not mistaken but it does sound like he is um it sounds like he's going to survive this which is what we all have been hoping and praying for now like you said whether or not the young man is going to be able to play football again is another story but but apparently and you know I I'd, I'd heard this guy's name but I didn't really know who he was I don't know oh, no, with, with the Buffalo yeah. Bills but I will say he is a remarkable young man. Yes, he you is. Know, he's yes, a remarkable young man. And, um, you know, uh, I heard Mike Tomlin talking about him, you know, as, a, as, a, as somebody else who grew up in Pittsburgh. And, right. And just, you know, you can't help but be impressed with this kid, man. No. It's a, you know, and uh, one thing I've told uh, a lot of people is, you know, uh, not to diminish De- DeMar Hamlin in any way, because you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. He is a remarkable young man and what he's done and giving back to his community and stuff. There are thousands mm-hmm. of kids like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they these uh, professional athletes, because of a handful of people that do some crazy stuff here or there, they get such a bad rap. Uh, mm-hmm. And the overwhelming majority, the overwhelming majority of them are incredibly good people that give back all the time. They go to all sorts of functions. They're at everything for kids, helping them train and do these things and doing giveaways within their communities. And a lot of the reasons you don't hear about it is because they, they do a lot of their programs and stuff are focused on very poor communities, which they grew up in. Uh, and, and there's not a lot of media focus on those communities. And so they're there, you know, doing turkey giveaways and different things like that. Uh, when you just go back, there, there are some stories from some of the NFL guys uh, giving out turkeys and stuff at uh, different community centers within their hometowns in Baltimore and in Philadelphia and you know, a number of different places that I saw. And I mean, you're just talking about you know, these guys spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, mm-hmm. of their own money uh, or creating a foundation that you know, takes money in from businesses. There, there's so many stories like this of the, yeah. these guys, and uh, and I hate that it took this for a lot of people to get to know just one of them. Um, yeah. uh, but it, it's it, they they do, you know. People like to talk about churches, and I'm not putting down churches for, for what they do. But that, these guys yeah. here, uh, I would say on the whole, are are the real community heroes uh, for a lot of communities and what they do for uh, for oh, kids yeah. and stuff. And yeah. uh, you know, it's been, it's one of the reasons Let's, why I, I love LeBron James. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, and he's he's of course. Um, I mean, the example he has set is just you know he's without peer really almost. Yes. Uh, you could argue he's uh, you know you could argue that. Uh, let's shout out somebody who does some things here in North Alabama that um, uh, I don't know if everybody's always aware of. Uh, every year uh, for the past I don't know probably ten years or so I'm just guessing. Uh, NFL Hall of Famer Walter Jones, yep. who used to live in this community, uh, has been the uh, has been the inspiration for and the and the main backer of something called the Turkey Bowl, and it's a flag football competition that takes place. Uh, I believe it is the I'm trying to think is it the Saturday 
It may be the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I can't quite remember when it when it is, but I know Walter's been doing that for a number of years, and um, and I actually have attended a couple of turkey bowls. I've interviewed Walter about it, and uh, and and hung out on the field. And you know, Walter's there, man. He's involved, and this is a fundraiser for Heels, uh, yeah. as I recall. And uh, so, yeah, he's another great example of just. And he doesn't Absolutely. even live in Huntsville anymore. He moved yeah. back to Seattle, you know, yeah. uh, or I should say he moved to Seattle. But uh, he's originally from, I think, Aliceville, Alabama. I think that's where he grew up. And um, and I think his um, his wife, who may be his ex-wife now, I think they got divorced. But anyway, um, his wife or ex-wife was from here. And so he was living here in the off season. You know, while he was playing for Seattle, he's just a great guy, man, and and, yeah, and really committed to doing good in this community. I, I'll tell you, yeah, you NFL players, NBA players, Major League Baseball players. Mm-hmm. If you if you have I'm almost to a person, if you go and look at them, almost every single one of them has a charitable organization that they are connected to or that they started themselves that do just amazing work. Uh, in in different communities around, most of them are, are are devoted to the communities that they grew up in, uh, or to projects that that were close to them that helped them out when they were young. But it, it's, I mean, I'm telling you, it's almost to a, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, listen, there are there some people these guys make mistakes and like with everybody else in life. Well, mm-hmm. of course they do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's a you know I think we should focus a, a lot more uh, on on the good uh, that gets done uh, by, by them. Uh, and and Demar Hamlin is is just you know uh, one of those guys, and uh, hate this happened. To, you know, it's you know somebody uh, uh, in reading the stories about what happened uh, to him. Uh, you know, there was a, a this incident that happened in hockey several years ago where uh, a guy took a puck to the chest and had a similar heart mm. experience and mm. passed out. Had to have CPR performed on him. That dude played in a hockey game two games later. Whoa! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. So wow. I mean, I don't, that's not you know wow. uh, these things are, these things affect people differently. Okay? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. A, never an apples to apples sort of right, thing. Right, but right. He still, it was kind of the same sort of deal where he took that shot to the to the heart and it uh, and it stopped the heart for a few minutes and he had to be resuscitated and uh, then he was up and going in a couple of days and so um, just a wild uh, a pretty wild story. But um, yeah, you know, but it's. Uh, I'll be interested to see uh, what what happens from here on out, especially if he's okay, and and then what occurs uh, or what what they you know explain happened to him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kind of get a, a a minute by minute um, breakdown of of what they believe happened and and how how this affected him and will affect him going forward, and and hope I'm. Sure, we'd like to see him on the field uh, at some point, if not uh, this season, the next year, or sometime down the road, uh, to to get back out there and do this. And um, and I hope the NFL does the right thing. And because I know he's not vested at this point, he doesn't have anything in the pension plan. And so I hope that they cover everything that that needs to be covered. Um, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. I hope so too. Um, he's because he's you know he seems like the kind of player who uh based on everything i've heard about him he should be treated uh going forward uh whether he plays another down or not he should be treated as an ambassador because yes. he already was he already yes, was, he was an ambassador 
Yeah, and uh, you know, plus is uh, I will say too, if he needs it, uh, you know, I think we ought to be okay with him using some of that money that people donated to the toy drive uh, GoFundMe that he set up that would had a goal of twenty five hundred dollars, uh, so he could buy gifts for some of the kids at his mother's daycare or you know, associated with his mother's daycare, and uh, and la- last check it was up over seven million. Uh, yeah, so, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, more than two hundred thousand people across the country have donated to that. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I think like and I think like Stephen A. Smith said on uh, one of the ESPN shows, uh, you know, there there are a lot of even though we are divided by politics, race, gender, uh, gender identity, and and God knows how many other things, uh, it 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 does seem as though. There still is a spirit in this country that uh, exists where people will will rise up and say, you know, that was a horrible thing that happened. I'm going to give my my five dollars, my ten dollars, my two hundred and fifty dollars, you know, and and God bless folks for that, man. Yeah. 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 And, you know, people people want to be considered good, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, Mm They uh, they want to be considered that they're uh, and saying that they're they're doing good. Uh, so, uh, but it's you know, uh, I, 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 and I'm not sure that we're as um, um, that we're as divided as as we as we have been uh, mm. in the past. Um, and so you know, I I don't know. It's um, uh, or as we ha- as people would have you believe, I should say, not as in the past, but it, mm. as you know, I, I don't think we're that divided. I think that we're we have a few things uh, that we are divided on, and people press us on those things, you know, mm. and they figured out a way to do that, and uh, you know, and I think that that drives a lot of this nonsense that we hear. But for the most part, I think people they want to be considered good, they want to see good people succeed. Um, and so I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's, that's kind of where we are, but well, you're uh, just a, you're just a uh, you know, we didn't kind of guy, aren't you? That's right. I am. A, I'm an optimist. I am an optimist. <laughs> uh, that's, that's right. That's I'm, I am an optimist, so, but you know, then again, I'm not bussing immigrants. Huh. Uh, you know, it, what kind of madness is that? Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm assuming everybody saw the story of of where the mm. um, of where the the um, governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, sent a busload of immigrants to the front lawn of the vice president's mm. house mm. on Christmas Eve in freezing cold temperatures, wearing children, yeah, children. children. Um, I, I, I mean, of all the holidays on which to do that, to do it on a holiday that is devoted towards the birth mm-hmm. of an immigrant who couldn't mm-hmm. find a place to sleep. Mm. 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 Say it again, so the people in the back in here say it again. I, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm just you know to do it on that holiday where an immigrant family couldn't find a place to sleep, and 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 in which you know you you've now based an entire religion upon the teachings of that man uh, that that tells you to be kind to one another, to treat each other uh, with kindness and respect and with love and to and with dignity and and to and to welcome the immigrant. 
not not turn them to welcome them mm. and give them what you have. Give them what you have. It's mm. better to give it to them to make them more comfortable because they don't have what you have. It's I wish I could play a Hammond B three organ right now. I'd be I'd be giving you some some Pentecostal <laughs> hits. Go on and preach, Josh. Go on, go on and preach. Uh, loving the Lord is wrong, and I don't want to be right. Uh, <laughs> no, listen. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, as we, if, if you've listened to to our podcast, you know that David is a is a much more religious person than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that I'm, I'm not a, a church attendee or anything else, but I I do know the, the teachings of yeah. of Jesus Christ from, and I, and I have. I did go to church when I was younger. My, you know, my mother forced us into this, and so we went. Uh, and so I was there. All of um, our mothers was, and fathers forced us. Yeah, right, right, right. Doodling on the back row. Uh, you know, just counting. That was before the invention of the cell phone. So, man, we didn't have nothing but our thumbs to keep us entertained. Yeah. Just twiddling thumbs, maybe. Uh, and so, you know, it. I, it, it is. I, I, I couldn't. What are you, what are y'all doing? You know, I mean, my God, mm. how could you, how could you look at these people, these people who have nothing, nothing? Mm. They they've mm. come here because they are desperate. They are desperate people. They, these are these are women and children. I mean, look at the pictures of those people that were getting off of those buses. I mean, and and you you looked at those people and you put them on a bus and you sent them out into the cold. With no place to stay, with nothing to, no food, no no clo- no extra clothing to provide them, and you send them up there as a political stunt. And, and then, and then you probably Sunday morning, Christmas Day, you probably go to church, yeah. and sing hymns, yes, and and praise God and read out of the Bible. I mean, what kind of mad mad man are you? Ah, uh, listen, it. If you believe in 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 the Bible and the things that happened there, then uh, it, uh, honestly, if if he should have been turned into salt, basically, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, or swallowed by a whale or something. You know what I mean? I mean, it's honest <laughs> to God. It's, it's something yeah. something biblical should have should have occurred to him. It, you know, it, the bears should have attacked him. You know, and uh, but I just I, I I mean, what? What are you doing? What? How in the world has this has this become? Have, have they so? I, I don't even I, I distorted what we're supposed to be. You know, there used to be this pride. Remember Reagan wanted to one of the amnesty program. Ronald Reagan amnesty yeah, program. Right. Uh, he talked about America being this shining beacon on the hill. You know, what I mean, mm. he used it in other other cases as well. But he also used it in this, in in that sense too. And that's the reason people come here because yeah. we made this promise to them that yeah. we will be that for them. And 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 there's no there's no strings attached to this. There's no well, there's too many, there are too many of them. You know, it's it's just yeah. it's stupid. Yeah, it's, it's idiotic. What's what's taking place here? Yeah, Ronald Ronald Reagan and the Bushes. You know, they were much more pro-immigrant than uh, a lot of today's Republicans seem to be. But I will say, um, there does seem to be a, there do seem to be uh, Republicans and conservatives and evangelicals 
who are looking at this situation, Josh, and they're saying, no, we've got a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, they do seem to be. Now, I'm not saying saying that uh, enough of them are doing it because I would like to see a groundswell. You know, I'd like to see a groundswell of opposition to Abbott and and I'd like to see a recall. I mean, I think they ought to be calling for him to 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 step down. I mean, that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, but, him uh, in the fruitcake from Florida as well. Yeah, who did the DeSantis, same thing earlier. Right. Broke laws to do it. Broke that's the right. law. They tricked these that's people right. into getting that's on a plane. Right. I mean, did you, yeah, yeah, that's what, right. You know, this is not. And the, you know what? This, this goes back to what we were just talking about with Demar Hamlin. I guarantee you. I guarantee. I guarantee you that if you put out there that you have these people and, and we need we need to figure out a way we're, we're overrun in Texas and we need to figure out a way to, to help a lot of these people. Or there are other programs in other states where these folks could go. I guarantee you that there would be a national effort uh, to to take these folks in at different places around the country if somebody would simply go about doing it instead of villainizing these people to the point where. It, some folks apparently believe it's okay to take them and dump them off in the cold on Christmas Eve. Yeah, my I God, mean, that's horrible. I mean, it is it is insane. There is there are enough kind people in this country. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you this: we we had uh, uh, Mallory Hagan, who we've had on the, the show before, mm-hmm. who was one of those good candidates you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a lady that reached out to her um, uh, right before Christmas and she was organizing Christmas gifts for a bunch of kids who were here. They were mostly Hispanic kids. Um, there were, uh, two, two of the kids were, uh, or had, had been recently orphaned. Their parents had been killed in El Salvador by cartel. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. and they had been uh, somehow or another had gotten them. Uh, some family members had helped them get up here to an aunt that lived in the Huntsville area. And, so they they came up here and they were trying to organize this stuff. So we we took you know some of those and other people took some. All those kids ended up getting gifts and things. You know, I mean we, uh, you know, APR folks. You know, me and and my wife and Bill and Susan. You know, we we made sure that we got we we took on what we could and mm-hmm. uh, and and got them some and and then other people took on the other ones and and that's what I'm saying though is my point to saying that is not to. Pat me on because we didn't. It was very little, nothing. I mean, you know, to give a kid a few Christmas gifts on on Christmas is uh, that they wouldn't have gotten is literally the least we could do. Okay, yeah, literally yeah, the least. Yeah. And so, uh, um, but th- there. That's what I'm saying, though. You, you mention it, and people were ready to step up and provide for that. Mm-hmm. And and uh, that's. It's all people are looking for, man. I just, yep. I don't, I don't understand the cruelty to, towards other human beings simply mm. because they speak a different language and have a skin color that's darker than yours. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? My yep. God. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to fathom. I just don't get it. Yeah. Well, Especially I'll when they this. claim to be Christians. I mean, I just don't get it. Yeah, that's especially true. I I think it's just a claim that they make because it sounds good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, but I'll say this, uh, for folks that uh, that behave in that way, it's probably no real surprise that they have problems uh, with the basic form of governing. 
uh, and being able to, in this case, pick a house speaker. Uh, <laughs> we're, we've now surpassed seven times that Kevin McCarthy has put his name on the old ballot to be house speaker, and uh, seven mm. times he's been uh, voted out of there by the handful of nut jobs that he has coddled over the course of the last year, when if he would have just uh, worked a little harder with the January 6th commission and maybe expelled some of these fruitcakes, he would probably be speaker right now. Isn't that ironic? That. Isn't yeah. that ironic? Yeah. 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 So, but instead of, you know, and that's, I pointed this out on, uh, uh, on, on, on Facebook. I had a little post on Facebook yesterday about, you know, it probably should, should not be a surprise that, uh, the, the party that has not had a viable policy idea in the last eight years is somehow unable to govern. Uh, and I pointed out too that, you know, it's not that these people, you know, this should not be forgotten. They're not, wanting to do this they're they're not voting kevin mccarthy out because they're outraged that he didn't protect democracy enough Mm -hmm. you know that he didn't that he didn't crack down on those insurrectionists that he didn't come (laughs) out and punish the people who were active in a coup uh attempt um it's the opposite mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It's that they're mad because he didn't he didn't coddle them enough. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just amazing. And so those people are our right wing nuts of the week, and rightly so. Yeah, and all of the House so. Republicans, and including uh, that Karen lady from Florida that accused Democrats of drinking. Um, uh, because they the Republicans couldn't get their shit together and the and the Democrats were laughing, so you know. uh, this foolishness. Yeah. It's yeah. it's laughable, laughable. Yeah, it is laughable. It is laughable. But listen, these are the idiots we've been left with, and so good luck to them. <laughs> uh, and uh, or really, be really, really, really awesome if uh, somehow another they're like, you know what? Let's just let Nancy Pelosi keep doing it. All right, let's just let her. <laughs> all all or, those votes and or let Hakeem Jeffries do it. Yeah, Hakeem Jeffries. Yeah, but now I'm saying Jeffries is is somehow when it comes to Republicans, uh, Nancy Pelosi is like villain number one. Yeah, know? she and is. So That's true. It'd be really funny if somehow or another Nancy Pelosi ended up as speaker again. Uh, but uh, anyways, hey, I think for the first show back, mm-hmm. this has been a damn good show, man. Sharon Tubbs. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, let's uh, let's slide out of here. Until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace.